but this morning as we uh, as we uh, kind of set our thoughts uh, forward, um, they go to tonight. They go to our revival. They go to uh, what we will be assembling for. And, and revival is something that throughout the course of our lives is a necessity. It's something that as the as the hardness of the world wears on us spiritually, it's something that it's it's it, it's absolutely certain that it'll wear off on us from time to time. But revival is something that we absolutely need. Um, we are commanded in the Bible to guard ourselves from the day that we're saved and continue continue to walk in the doctrine that we received. But but we all know that doesn't happen all the time, does it? And when, and when we allow sin to creep in, that's when eventually we're going to stand in need of revival. It's not that we've lost our salvation. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I, I want to start with a verse of Scripture this morning. I want to start with Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And I'm going to use this as a segue over into what we really want to talk about this morning, which is Psalm 51. 1 through 19. But uh, before we get there to the 51st Psalm, we're going to read Philippians 2:12. Wherefore, my beloved, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, as not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is a verse of scripture that a lot of people fall back on when they want to justify their works having a part in the, sal- in the process of salvation. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Uh, when Paul is saying at the back end of this verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, what he is saying comes out of the book of Psalms, and it comes out of the, uh, I believe the 11th verse of the book of Psalms where it says, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Now that's what Paul, that's the real idea that Paul is trying to convey. If we go back and we look here, Paul Paul actually commends them, he calls them his beloved, he says they've always obeyed, not only in his presence, but much more in his absence. It's not that they haven't continued in the faith, they have continued in the faith, and so he says, work out. Now, we all have a physical body, don't we? What's it called when you exercise it? You work it out, don't you? You use it. And that's what God expects us to do. He expects us to use our salvation uh, in a way uh, that serves Him, and it does it in in this manner, in method. With fear, meaning reverence, and I always like to say that it's not just reverence, but it's actually with veneration, because that's coupled with awe. Because that's how we should serve God, because we serve an awesome God, and we should approach service to Him in a manner which inspires the awe in us. But it is with reverence that we do it. Now the second part is trembling. And now I love the verse, or not the verse, but the definition. This, is, this comes from Thayer's. The definition that he gives here about fear and trembling, right? He says it's used to describe the anxiety that of one, right? This is 
Usually not something that we think of in terms of serving God. Usually when we think of anxiety being built up in us, it's usually coupled with the fact that we're not saved. But here, Paul says, serve God with fear and trembling. And Thayer's definition of this says this, that it's used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely to meet all the requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. That's a wonderful definition, I believe, of how we should look at this verse of Scripture. It's not that our works are going to have any part in the saving process. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. But instead, once we get salvation, we are a new creature in Christ, don't we? We're Christ's workmanship, created in Christ unto good works. And so he's saying, don't stop using the salvation that you've been given. Continue to use it. Continue on as you have in my presence, even more so now in my absence. Continue in the faith. That's where the problem comes in, isn't it? We let the world get in the way, don't we? We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. I've got a yoke of oxen. I purchased some land. Well, I've got a wife. I've got all these reasons why I can't continue in the faith. And eventually, that's going to lead us down a road because that's following the flesh, right? Not the spirit. And that's going to lead us down a road that we don't want to go down. Now, there was a man in the Old Testament. Now, you know where I'm going with this because I already told you we're going to the 51st Psalm. We're going to go to David. There was a man in David who the Bible the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. Matter of fact, it's the thing that was the biggest differentiator between he and Saul. Because God told Samuel that the next king, he's going to be a king after my own heart. This is a man who stood uh, before the king there at the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, and he said this, God deliver me out of the paw of the lion and the bear, and he will deliver me out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. David was a man of great faith. And he was a patient man. And he endured a lot at the hands of Saul. And he never sought retribution, even though he showed Saul one time by cutting his, the, the skirt of his garment in a cave that I could have done it if I was a vindictive person. But David got at a place of ease, didn't he? After he's king and he's in Jerusalem and, uh, and, and, and people are fighting the battles for him now, aren't they? He's not on the front lines. He's not facing the enemy directly on. And so he's by himself up on the rooftop one night and he sees a lady off in the distance and he says, she looks pretty good. Uh, and so he sends for her uh, and he, and, and, He has an affair with her, essentially, or commits the act of adultery with her. They conceive a child. He says, oh, do me a favor. Call her husband to come here and come to me. Uh, He brought her husband in, got him drunk so that he would go down, and he was trying to hide his sin, wasn't he? 
He would go down and lay with his wife, and so he would believe that the child that was conceived by him would actually be his, and it would cover up the sin. It wouldn't be known. But that man, who was actually not a child of God, it was a Hittite, but he actually proved that in this moment he had more integrity than David did. He said, I cannot go down to my wife while my brethren are in battle. And he laid there at the at the foot of the door all night, and David got mad, and he said, well, fine, put him in the hottest part of the battle and make sure he dies that's the story of David and the sin that he committed with Bathsheba and then him having Uriah the Hittite murdered to cover up that sin now what's amazing is so many times God works in ways that just kind of blows your mind I was really studying this it finally clicked one time when I was reading through the genealogies Right, I was reading through the genealogy of Christ in Matthew. I was reading through the genealogy of Christ in Luke. Now the difference is, in Matthew it runs through Solomon, in Luke it runs through Nathan. And I was like, wait a minute, the same Nathan that had to go and talk to David about the sin that he committed with Bathsheba and having Uriah killed? Same one. Well, that would be an uncomfortable position for a son to be in with a father. What? To go to your dad, who's the king, and say, you've sinned in the sight of God. And he did it by using a parable. And he said, you are the man, right? The man who stole the sheep uh, of the guy who only had one sheep when you had a whole flock. You're that man. And so David has this response to it in the 51st verse. And we're going to look at the 51st uh, Psalm, uh, 51st division of the Psalms. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Now the need, the title for our sermon today is The Need of Revival. Now David was a saved man. We already know that David was a saved man, but David has committed so many sins and piled sins on top of sins that eventually it got to a point to where obviously he has hardened his heart, right? Because they don't bother him. He's comfortable being in that position. But all the while, he's going to make an admission here in the 51st Psalm that he's been lacking some things in his life, and those things that have been lacking, he didn't realize that the reason they were lacking was because of the sin that he had committed in his life. And so he makes a request here in the first verse of the 51st Psalm that his sins might be blotted out. Uh, he says, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He's going to come back. Uh, he's going to come back again in the ninth verse, and he's going to reinforce that, that request because that shows how Guilty, he views himself as uh, here in the 51st Psalm. Uh, in the ninth verse, he says, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Just as Isaiah said uh, in the 43rd chapter and the 25th verse of Isaiah, I, talking about God, even I am, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for mine own sake. Now see, David's, David's saved. But David knows that only God can forgive sin. 
And so you may be here today and, and you may not have ever been confronted with your sin, but you know, I'll tell you right now, uh, you're going to have to be confronted with that one day uh, by God if, if you're going to be remitted for it. In the 44th chapter, in the 22nd verse of Isaiah, it says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Now, obviously, these are prophetic and looking forward to Christ and the work Christ would do at Calvary. In Luke 11, 4, uh, Jesus says this uh, in what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, uh, when what it is really is the Lord teaching you how to pray. One of the things that you're always supposed to ask or say or ask, now, and I don't think that the exact words necessarily, but forgive us our sins. Folks, we have a need of repentance every day, don't we? David had a massive need of repentance, but he had grown so cold and so hard to it that he couldn't even recognize it until... Nathan pointed it out. Until Nathan pointed it out. And so he makes another request. Uh, We go down through the uh, 51st Psalm. The next verse he says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, that's what he's asking for in the blotting out of my transgressions. Then he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions. Folks, you won't get saved unless you acknowledge that you have a need to be saved. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. See, I've asked you to blot it out, but I'll never forget it. I've asked you to blot it out, God, and I know that you'll blot it out in your book, but I'll never forget it. That's what he's saying. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. I may sin against Brother Carter. The forgiveness for that sin can only be granted by Brother Carter. And that's what David's acknowledging here. Now David had actually sinned against Bathsheba, really, but she was part and parcel in it. But she wasn't part and parcel in Uriah getting killed. And in that, David, I was having this conversation one day um, with uh, with a Mennonite friend of mine who who believes you can lose it, and that's okay if you believe that. I can understand why where you would come to. Um, but I said, how about David? I said, David. I said, David broke the entirety of the moral law. I said, he left off from worshiping God. He did not, uh, he, he, I said, while he didn't, there's no example of him necessarily recognizing somebody else's God or something else's God. He maybe got into the problem that we face today where people look at themselves that way, don't they? But he, either way, he had grown cold. He, 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 and not even cold, but lukewarm. Uh, he had gotten to a place of really apathy. If he hadn't been in a, in a state of apathy, he maybe, when that happened, he would have not, uh, he would have felt conviction immediately from this sin. And you could say, well, you don't get, feel conviction after you get saved. I'm, if you sin against God, you'll, be, <laughs> you'll feel conviction, whether you're saved or lost.
And he says he's done evil, this evil in his sight that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest clear. But then, then he gets into kind of, I, I, he's saying, look, this is the way I'm created. It's just a part of who I am. I Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's talking about the flesh where sin resides. And behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Now, he's going to make a request here in the seventh verse. He's going to make a request, and it's purge me with hyssop. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Now listen to what he's tying to this. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now like we already said, David is a saved man, but David needs to be, is in, he stands in need of cleansing, doesn't he? When he says purge me, Paul gives us the same admonition as the children of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, where he says, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be the new lump, the old leaven representing the sin of the old men, and that you may be un as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast... Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leaven of, with the unleavened bread, rather, of sincerity and truth. And in that case, they were saying, you've got to put out the old leaven. That was somebody who had committed sin in the church, and so he was saying, you've got to put them out. They've got, to, they've got to get right with that. They've got to fix that first. They've got to be cleansed like, like David had to have. And later, in the next letter to the church of Corinthians, he, he said he needed to be received again. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. I think this is really what he's talking about when he says, Purge me with hyssop. He says, And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood in the, that is in the basin and strike it and, and strike the lintel and the two posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning that was in Egypt and that was at the Passover when the when the lamb was sacrificed they take the blood of the lamb they would take some hyssop and use that hyssop to apply it to the doorpost and lintel of the door of their house and that was the sign when the death angel passed over when he saw that blood he would pass over that house and everybody in it would be safe everybody in it safe That's what David's request is. Purge me with hyssop. Apply uh, the blood of Christ, which is the only thing that, can, that, that can, you can be washed with that will make you whiter than snow, meaning innocent, judicially innocent, in the sight of God. Judicially innocent. See, God, uh, while David may have been already a man after God's own heart, He's going to have, he's, he's, God's making him answer for the things that he's done here. He's going to make another request. We're going to drop down. We're going to drop down to the 10th verse. He asks this. He says, Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. And he ties to that and renew and renew a right spirit within me. 
first, let's go to the first part of that request, which was create. Create in me a clean heart. David knows that the only way that he's going to be in right fellowship with God is if God, by the powers of creation, makes it so. See, the powers of creation lie solely with God from the very first day of the world to the day that we get saved, right? What did Paul write? He said, you are a new creature, which really means a new creation in Christ Jesus. So David says, create in me a clean heart. In, in other words, speak into existence within me a clean heart that's not guilty of these sins that I've committed. Uh, and here he says, oh God, renew, renew. Renew me. Now here, in this idea of renewal, is the idea of being restored. Which is really what we're supposed to do. When anyone's overtaken in a fault, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Cast me not away. This is, the, uh, this is really what we run into. The, the issue that we run into when we allow sin to come into our lives is the fact that it may cause us to be like a castaway. Paul said this in the 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, as the reason why he mortified the sins of the flesh. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached unto others, that I myself should be a castaway. Right? That's what he's talking about. David is saying, David realizes that his feeling is one of a castaway, but he's asking God not to cast him away. Don't be done dealing with me yet, Lord. Continue dealing with me. And he finishes this thought by saying this. He says, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's revival. That's revival. Have you experienced the joy of the Lord in a while? Have you really felt the rejoicing that comes with being in the presence of God? Because that's what David is seeking to be restored. You see, David, David has lived in sin. He has done these things. And they've taken away his joy in his worship. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. The idea of restoration. Then he says this. Then he says this. Uphold me. With thy free spirit. Now the idea behind the word uphold me there is the one of propping up, right? 
Joe Diffie sing a song that said, Prop me up by the jukebox when I die. I want to be propped up by the Spirit of God. Not just when I die, but I need that my whole life. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, I need the Holy Spirit of God in my life. Joe Diffie wasn't singing about anything that, that virtuous. Joe Diffie was singing about worldly pleasures. And here, but David is saying, I need to be propped up by the Holy Spirit every day. That's what we need, isn't it? If we're going to experience the joy of our salvation, if we're going to experience the true worship that comes along with having, knowing we've been saved, we've got to be upheld by that Holy Spirit. We've got to be able to feel it, don't we? See, David's saying, I haven't felt your presence in a very long time. If we want to be revived, we need to ask ourselves, have I really felt the presence of God lately in my life? Has it moved me? Has it moved me to tears? Has it moved me to laughter? Has it convicted me? Has it, has it done the things that it does? Has it had the effect on me that it should have on me? If not, then we may have some of the same problems that David, while not necessarily to the same level of sin, but God hates all sin, doesn't he? And if we let any sin fester, it will eventually steal our joy. And, and it, we won't be able to rejoice in the Lord. Our services when we come in will be cold and they'll be dead because the Spirit's not manifesting its presence there. Brother Williams, which song is it? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Lord comes down. I can't think of which song that is. There it is, Holy Manna. I couldn't think of the song's name. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Lord comes down. Well, He's not going to come down in the presence of a bunch of unrepentant sinners. And while we've been saved, I agree. And I, while, we, while we are saints by the, by the blood of Christ, I agree. If we're letting these things live in our lives and fester in our lives, and it's stealing the joy of our salvation, then we're not going to be fit for much use. And that's why David said, Don't make me, don't cast me away from thy free spirit, but restore unto me thy salvation and uphold me by it, uh, by thy free spirit. Prop me up with it, and that way, being propped up by you that, and having my joy restored, then I might be able, then I'm fit to teach transgressors thy ways. Right? That's what he says in the 13th verse. I'm fit to teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Look, he goes back up here. And I want to touch on this, this whole idea of renew a right spirit in me. What he's asking for is that there's a renovation that takes place, that there's a rebuilding that takes place. And down in the 19th verse, sorry, in the 18th verse, he, he, he illustrates this building, this rebuilding inside his heart because remember, he is the king of Jerusalem and Israel in the day of arguably the height of its power, unless you want to argue that that was under Solomon, right? And so the walls of, Jer of Jerusalem have no need to be repaired because they're all, uh, they're all intact. But in the 18th verse, he says, Build the walls. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Rebuild it. I've torn it down. Lord, you rebuild it. 
You rebuild it so that I can once again experience the joy of my salvation. That once again I'll be upheld by your spirit, by your free spirit. And that really, that word there means your magnanimous spirit. Or that is a, a very generous and a very forgiving spirit. Which is exactly why, jo- why uh, Jonah said he didn't want to go to Nineveh because I know, Lord, that you are forgiving God. And, and if they repent, uh, that you'll forgive them. None of us should look at our lives and say our, per- our lives are perfect. We should actually examine our lives and say, Lord, what is keeping us apart? David had it expressed to him what was keeping him apart from the Lord. And unlike Saul, David, David actually got down and he made the, the acknowledgement to God that he needed to be renovated. Do we need to be renovated this morning? That's really what revival is all about, isn't it? That a renovation will take place among the body, among the brethren. That we will have the, the joy of the Spirit will manifest in our presence. And folks, lost people don't get saved because we pick a time of the year and we put it on the calendar and we say, that's when revival happens. No, revival happens when the Lord says it happens. And it doesn't happen without us, first and foremost, coming to the Lord. And if we have sin in our life, acknowledging it and asking forgiveness for it. How can we teach sinners how to be saved if we ourselves won't do it? We know we got saved. We know that it happened once. Now the Nicolaitan doctrine says that was enough and that you can live your life however you want. Jesus said that that, that that form of doctrine was an abomination. We are to walk before the Lord every day. And that, gonna, that brings me back. That brings me back to where we started in, sec, in, in Philippians chapter 12. Paul writing to that church at Philippi. He says, My beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, as you have always obeyed, and you've always walked and kept the doctrines that were given to you from the very beginning, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, not not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul is saying, I am so thankful to hear that once I departed you, you did not cease to walk in the light of truth. Work out your own salvation. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling. We've got revival this week. That's what we need, isn't it? We need to serve the Lord with reverence, with veneration, knowing that in and of ourselves we are weak and we're feeble. But you know what? We're supposed to rejoice in our weaknesses, aren't we? Our weaknesses are what's actually supposed to make us strong because when we realize our weaknesses, that's when we can rely on the Lord to make up the difference. We're not enough of ourselves, folks. We need the Holy... We need the power of God. 
We need the power of God. We need the manifested Spirit of God in our presence. That's my message this morning. That's all I've got. I pray that uh, I pray that it'll be a blessing to you.